0: Amen. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, team. Isn't it great to sing Christmas carols and realise that they're worship songs? Anyone? So good. Praise God. Praise God. So welcome along. Uh, It's great to have you here We've just finished a series on the, uh, the Pearl of Great Price and we're, we're entering the Christmas season, an opportunity to talk about our great God and uh, Emmanuel, God with us, God coming to be with his people. And we're going to do just a few short messages around some of the characters that we we meet along what I'm calling the Bethlehem Road, that people who who maybe we don't often talk about in church, Mary gets a a fair go in church, Um, the wise men get a fair go, the angels get a fair go, Uh, but there are some characters on the Bethlehem Road that we meet who don't get much of a go. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks as we come in to our Christmas services as well. Uh, would you pray with me, then we'll get stuck into it. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is life. Thank you, Father God, that your word is spirit and that it speaks to us and that it, uh, it cuts to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And Father, we pray that you would speak this morning. And um, We thank you that you have a word for your church. We thank you that you have a word for your people in season and so God, as always, I just want to hop out of the road right now. Mm-hmm. I pray that you would speak and that we would hear, we'd receive it, it'd be a blessing to us, that we would be a blessing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, yes. Amen. Amen. So we went on a family date night the other night and we took our lovely cherubs to go and see Frozen 2. Has anyone seen Frozen 2 yet? Anyone? Oh, that's so disappointing. See, this is what I love about Jess, Right? <laughs> Jess and Jared are like, Do you know what? We're gonna go and see Frozen Two. It's so good. Uh, one of the things, one of the things that we I loved about Frozen Two is the music. There's something special about Disney music, isn't there? But you know what? As I was sitting there watching this, and then for the next two weeks listening to Mabel sing solos, uh, and even last night, Mabel, <laughs> Bailey was up here with the microphone introducing Mabel, and then Mabel walks up to the front and she just starts singing this solo, just belting it out from Frozen Two. Uh, Because that's Mab's and we love her for it. Um, But there's something super special about the music of Disney, isn't there? It's great. It's so good. And I remember even before we had children, before when it was kind of weird to go and watch these Disney movies, Joe and I would go along and we'd just watch them because we just love Disney. But Disney went through this strange phase where they cut the music out. Do you remember that? Sort of like 2005 to 2010-ish. Disney went through a phase, some of you are like... I was still a kid then and I was watching that Disney. Disney went through this phase where they cut the music out and it's, it, it, lost its, it lost its grandeur for a while. And I remember Joe and I, we didn't have kids, but we went and saw Tangled and I think it was at the movies. With, yeah, Phil was excited, my brother was excited. So anyway, so we gathered as adults with not a skerrick of shame and rocked up to a children's movie tangled just by ourselves in a room full of children with parents who have an excuse to be there because they have children and us because we love Disney, unashamedly so. And uh, so we rocked up watching Tangled and I remember in the moment that Tangled, who, does anyone remember Tangled? It's the Rapunzel story. So, so this movie starts and, uh, and it's going along nicely and then all of a sudden they start to sing and I have this vivid memory sitting next to Joe, both of us at the same time when this song started, we both looked at each other and just went... <laughs> it was this moment of... Oh, they're back, they're back, we're singing again. So exciting that they were singing. And they were great songs. And there's one song that has that has stood out to me and I wanted to play it but we couldn't get the, uh, I couldn't get the download on. Um, probably because Disney own everything and everything's copyright. But anyway, and so... Uh, it's a song called I Have a Dream. Does anyone remember that song? I have a dream. and uh, uh, no, I'm not going to sing it very well because my voice is going. But there's this great song. It's full of joy. It's, lots of, uh, it's a fun song. But it's all about how like, it, it, this guy who's, he, who's vicious, mean and scary, and he's got a hook on his hand. And what he really wants to be is a concert pianist. And so he's there and he's, you know, I'm malicious, mean, and scary. La, da, da, da. And he's talking about that. And he goes, like everybody else, I've got a dream. And he hops on the piano and he starts playing, and all these mean dudes start dancing. And it's great fun. And they all start singing, We've got a dream. I've got a dream. And it's all about this dream that people have. And it's great because it's so true in so many ways that, that everyone's got a dream of some sort, don't we? Everyone has aspirations of some sort, we call it a dream in our Western culture, that I want to be something, or I want to do something, or I want to achieve something in my life. There's a a dream that's within each and every one of us. But here's what Disney doesn't pick up on, what Disney doesn't speak of. It's great at talking about this aspiration and this dream that we have, but it doesn't talk about the fact that not many people actually follow that dream. That not many people actually have the guts to get up and say, do you know what? I'm chasing after it. Because dreams are dangerous things. Dreams can be dangerous things, can't they? You know, when, especially heavenly dreams. Especially when God lays a seed on your heart and you think, oh, there's something on that. But the thing about a dream is when God lays a dream on your heart, it actually requires significant cost. What it actually requires of us is that, like, he calls us to a cross, not a couch. And Western culture is saying, go sit on the couch, just relax, everything will come to you that's deserved. And God's saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. I'm going to place a dream on your heart. I'm going to put a call on your life. I'm going to call you into something. But it is going to cost you something. It is going to come at great cost to whatever it is that you're currently existing in do you think that vicious mean and scary guy if he wanted to be a concert pianist that's going to come easy no it's going to cost him it's hours and hours and hours of practice and sacrifice sacrificing time with friends sacrificing uh, finance to invest in that dream it's a huge sacrifice to chase after a dream dreams are dangerous things And the other thing about a dream is as you step up and you start to chase that dream and pursue that dream, is actually it may well just lead you down a path into a lifestyle that you didn't see coming. It may lead you down a path where you were chasing after this and you were comfortable and you had your nice four bedroom house with your, you know, your Veranda out the front and you're whatever out the back, or whatever that Aussie song is. And life's good. And then God says, I'm calling you here. And it's a huge shift. It's a completely different path. Because it costs you something. And just maybe following a godly dream, chasing after what God has laid on your heart, will actually cause you to rouse some resistance from the enemy. You know, when you start chasing after the things of God and you start walking in the call that he has upon your life, trust me, the devil doesn't like that. And all of a sudden you're in his crosshairs and what starts out as this amazing, incredible journey with God. All of a sudden you start encountering some resistance. You start encountering some conflict and you think, what the heck is going on? Has anybody been there? Where well, you're going after the things of God, but it's not always easy. You see, dreams can be dangerous things. But I want to tell you today that they are worth it. When God lays a dream on our hearts, it is Always, always worth it. Because though the road might be hard, but there's ups and there's downs, there is blessing in that battle. And as we have been talking about, the end of that, the light at the end of the tunnel is the pearl of great price. And he is so worth chasing after. So dreams may well be dangerous, but they are worth chasing. It's true for you and it's true for me. And friends, it is so true of the character that we are going to look at today in this amazing passage of scripture so if you have your bibles can you do me a favor can you turn to matthew chapter one and we are going to look at the life of a man who took god at his word who was given a dream and he said do you know what god i'm in and the road was dangerous and it was fraught with ups and, uh, and downs and all sorts of things that he didn't see coming. But he was like, oh, if God has put it on my heart, I'm going after it. And there's some amazing lessons that we can learn from this man. And so reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through to 25, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found, someone say found, to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, someone say dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in In her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, watch this, he did what the angel of the lord commanded him he did what the angel of the lord commanded him he took mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and guess what he called him not little joe he called him jesus This is a crazy passage of Scripture, and we don't do it just. Some of you have read this passage of Scripture a billion times. You've heard it in church over and over and over again, and you're reading this with holy eyes. You're reading this with church-sanctified eyes. You know the story. You're like, yep, cool, great, let's move on. Guys, wow. Can I set some context for you? In the book of Luke, it tells us that Mary had a similar dream, that an angel of the Lord came to her and spoke to her and said, you're going to get pregnant. Right, you're going to get pregnant to the Holy Spirit, and just uh, as a little testimony to that, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant, and her son's going to be someone pretty awesome, and your son's not just awesome; he's like, he's like God. <laughs> He's the son of God. He's going to save people. He's going to save this nation. He's going to be the new Moses. He's going to be the fulfillment of everything the prophecy is talking about. So Mary has this dream. And in Luke, the Bible says that she was betrothed to Joseph, which is more than engaged... Right? It's more than a gauge. It's different from our cultural context where you put a ring on someone. When there's a betrothal, it means money's passed, like money's exchanged, dowry's exchanged. Okay, There's been conversations that have been had by parents and it's agreed upon, it's done. This is why the NIV actually translates it as that they were married and then it says, then he took her to be his wife. Like English doesn't quite know how to deal with it, right? And in other uh, translations, it'll use that word betrothed. So this is not just engaged. It's not quite, the ceremony hasn't happened, but they're, they're deeply connected legally right now, okay? So she's betrothed to Joseph. She has a dream. She hears about her cousin Elizabeth, and she goes, right, and it says, quickly, she got up, and she went to visit Elizabeth. Now, Mary's in Nazareth. Elizabeth is in Hebron, about 130 kilometers away. So Mary gets up. She leaves for a a fair while, three months, 130 kilometers to visit her cousin. And then she comes back to Nazareth and she's found to be pregnant. Which means Joseph is like, so here's my betrothed woman who one day disappears and visits her cousin for three months. And when she comes back, she's like, surprise. The Holy Spirit's done it to me. Come on now. If you're, Let's put yourself in Joseph's shoes right now. Come on. Are you seriously believing that? Are you going, oh, of course. Yeah, you disappeared for three months to your cousin and you came back pregnant. And God surely did that. No worries. Yep, easy. Okay, let's move on. No, you're not believing that. And this is why the Bible is so awesome. This is why we can trust the Bible, right? Because the Bible, in articulating this, the only way, legally, the only way that a righteous, just, Jewish man fulfilling the law, and it says that's what he is in Matthew, we just read it, the only way he would ever marry Mary and take her as his wife is if there was a significant supernatural intervention from God. Because he just wouldn't do it. He's not, he's not, Marrying Mary because he's like, let's create an amazing story and try and fool people. That's not what's happening. here. He would not do it. A Jewish man would never do it. He would get rid of her. It says that he had uh, already considered her and he was going to divorce her. That was the way it was going to go. And yet he doesn't. Historically speaking, he doesn't. He marries this woman. They have a son. He goes through life. This is what actually happens. Joseph must have had a dream. The Bible is speaking the truth, friends. And so he hears this word from Mary, and because he's a just, righteous man, it says that he's going to uh, divorce her quietly when he has every right actually to have her publicly stoned to death. In in this culture, he has every right to do that. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to divorce her, put her away quietly and get on with my broken life. Because I had a dream. I had a dream that I was going to marry this beautiful girl. We were going to grow up. We were going to have kids. They were going to become my, you know, they were going to take over the family business, the carpentry business. We were going to just live quiet lives in the beautiful little township of Nazareth. We're going to go about life. And all of a sudden, that dream is just blown to bits when this woman comes back pregnant. His dream, his dream is shattered. So he says, I'm going to put her away, but then something happens. The angel of the Lord comes to him. God has spoken. He has a dream. And the angel of the Lord says, dude, she's telling the truth. He says, she's telling the truth, and now I want you to do something. I want you to go and marry her, and I want you to look after her, and I want you to be the earthly father of the Son of God. And it says that he did all that the Lord commanded him. Wow. Wow. In this con- Do you think anyone else believed the dream? We know they didn't. When you read through the scripture, they're constantly mocking Jesus about who his father You don't even know who your father is. There were rumors. There was talking all of Joseph's life. And yet he was faithful to the dream. He was faithful to the call of God. It was dangerous. It changed the course of his life. It impacted him dramatically. But he did it because God put it on his heart. Because God had a higher calling for his life. And there's such a powerful message in this for us in will we faithfully follow the call of God? And what is God looking for in the people to whom he would bestow that seed, that he would drop that dream, that he would say, hey, I'm calling you into something different, something greater, something more significant to impact the world? What is he looking for? I find myself reading this. I'm like, what is it about Joseph? Why Joseph? You know? Why is it that God... Before time began, had thought to himself, do you know what? I'm gonna just position Mary with this bloke, Joseph, and they're gonna they're gonna make this happen. They're gonna do a great job of raising this child and the way he should go and prepare him for the, the ministry and the work and the life that I have for him. He's like, Why, why Joseph? To me, he doesn't fit the bill. Anyone else? Wouldn't you choose a rabbi? Wouldn't you choose a teacher? Wouldn't you choose someone who's like high up in the church? gets this stuff wouldn't you why would you choose a carpenter why would god choose a carpenter to father the son of god whose ministry and life is going to be communicating the the message of god i just think it's fascinating and i think i just want to show you three things that i saw when i went through this is that all right Three things. I think the first thing that we see that God is looking for when he's choosing these people is he's choosing character over competence. He's choosing character over competence. you know 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking for people of character. Joseph is a man of deep character. Go back to the passage. Go back to the passage. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph is a man of deep character. Do you know what? Crisis reveals character. Character is who you are when no one's looking. Character is who you are Intrinsically, who you are when nobody else is around. Everyone can play the good, the righteous, the humble, the joyful person in a public space when you're putting it on. What are we like behind closed doors? That's character. It's who you are in the quiet. And God, looking throughout the world, sees this man Joseph and he sees a man of deep character. A man who is like, this is going to rock his world. This dream, this message is going to rock his world. What I'm going to do to his life is going to absolutely mess him up. But does he have the character to obey? Does he have the character to persist? Does he have the character to listen and step into the call that I want to drop upon his life? Joseph is a man of character. And I want us to understand here that sometimes we need to have a deep look within us and say, well, well, who am I behind closed doors? Am I a person of character? Am I someone that God can trust the dream? Like some of us are like, God, use me, use me. You know, singing whatever song that was probably the wrong key. We're saying, God, use me, use me, use me. But then we need to actually stop and we need to turn around and say, well, do I have the character of which God? Am I someone who God can actually trust with this dream? And how do I grow that character? It says that Joseph was faithful to the Lord. I think there's something about growing character which actually happens behind closed doors, hey? Like character sure it's revealed, I think it's refined also in crisis, but it's forged behind closed doors. It's forged in the quiet place. It's forged with time with God. The Bible says that let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we want our character to grow, we actually have to sit with God. We actually have to ask God to shape us and mold us and grow us. We have to get alone with the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords and allow his words to wash over us and allow our hearts to be drawn towards him. And as they are, he will refine us. He will renew us. He will begin to transform us more and more and more into his likeness. And we will start to become the very people that he has created and called us to be. Amen. He's calling us to be people of character secondly we see something in joseph that i think god just loves when he's trying to drop a dream on someone's heart because a dream is a dangerous thing and a dream is a hard thing to carry but he's looking for he's looking for courage he's looking for courage the angel says to him do not be afraid why does he say that clearly because joseph has reason to be afraid Not just because of the angel, but because of everything else that's going to come with this. Everything else. When you say, yeah, God, cool. I'm going to go and marry this woman who the world thinks is an adulteress, right? And I'm going to raise this son as my own. And I'm going to invest everything into him despite everything else going on. And then when God says, actually, when the child's born, hey, King Herod wants to kill him, and probably you as well, so head off to Egypt for a while. And he's like, sure. And off he goes to Egypt for two years, leaving the business, leaving family, leaving friends, leaving everything he knew to be true for the sake of the call of God. That takes courage. That takes enormous courage. And it reveals character. It reveals that this man is a man who is obedient and just and honest and trustworthy. That he didn't say, nah, this is too hard. I've done nothing wrong. I don't really believe this dream. Anyway, she can go and do it herself and I'm going to go back to the comforts of Nazareth. But he says, no, that's not who I am. That's not who this child is. It's not who I'm called to be. Do you reckon Joseph had moments of doubt throughout this? I do. Can you honestly tell me that you don't think the enemy, the devil, got in his ear and started whispering and said, it's not really. That, did that dream really happen? Was that an angel or had you just had too much curry that night? You know what I'm saying? Like how often does the enemy come and whisper, It takes courage to believe the Word. It takes courage to step out in faith. It takes courage to step into the call of God on your life. And here's what I want to show you something. I want to show you something that the the angel does to build this courage in Joseph. Because courage comes out of identity. Courage comes out of knowing who you are. Courage comes out of knowing the the call. And I love what what the angel says to Joseph, right? Right? So, in verse 20, after he had considered this, so after he'd considered the fact that he was going to divorce Mary and do his thing, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid. Joseph, son of David. What is he doing here? We just read the genealogy. Well, we didn't just read it, but if you were reading the Bible, you would have read the genealogy, and it's all about the prophecy that the Messiah would come as a descendant of David, right? So this is significant. The angel doesn't come to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph the carpenter, and speak to his identity that everyone else had spoken. He says, Joseph, son of David. He's saying, hey, man, I'm speaking something into who you are. I'm speaking something into your identity. I'm speaking something into the nature of a, of a child of the king. You are a kingly a kingly man. You come in the line of David. You fit the prophecy. You might not think you have the competency. You might not think you have the skill set to do this job, but you are exactly who I'm looking for. And friends, when God comes and He speaks that favour over your life, and He speaks His promises into your life as who you are in Christ Jesus, and He says, the old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a child, of the, a child of God through the sacrifice of the Son. Because of that, you can step out and be bold and courageous. You can do that in this generation. Because the Word of God is life. He speaks this powerful word of identity Words are spirit, words are life. And especially when God speaks, God says that he breathed into Adam the breath of life. When God speaks, when he breathes, it is life giving. His word is life. And so when he speaks this life into Joseph, Joseph's heart goes boom. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to receive that word of life. We need to receive that spirit in us that says, I'm not who I was. I'm not who they say I am. I am who He says I am. I have a call. I have a place. I have His strength empowering me to step into the call of God on my life and I will run that race with perseverance, throwing off everything else that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I'm going to step into it because He's called me and if He calls, who can possibly stand against us his weapon the enemy's weapon might be formed but it's not going to prosper if god is on our side if god has called us sure there'll be trouble but he is faithful and he is good and he's speaking that courage into some of you right now that dream that he's put upon your heart get up get going get going be that person of character. Get in the quiet place. Feel the, the courage brewing in your heart. Know who you are. He doesn't call people who he doesn't think can do the job that he's called them to. He equips those he calls. You might go, oh, Lord, I'm just a carpenter. Who am I to do this? He says, I wouldn't call you if I didn't think you could do it. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So we're going to get before a holy God and say, oh, Lord, the job's too big. How many times do you reckon Joseph, as they were cruising around Egypt, sat on his knees and went, oh, Lord, wow. It's bigger than I thought it was going to be. How do you reckon he felt when he rocked up and saw his 12-year-old teaching the teachers of the law in the temple? He was like, bro, you're using words I don't even know. And you're 12 I'm going to help you build a chair, but I can't teach like that. How do you think he felt in that moment? Inadequate? Do you reckon he felt inadequate from time to time? Has anyone here ever felt inadequate from time to time? Some of you are lying because your hand didn't go up. If you haven't felt inadequate, you're not chasing a dream. When God gives you a dream, there are always times you go, wow, I'm not up for this. I can't do this. And God says, if I called you and I put that seed in you, yes, you can. Because I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Last thing, Ben, you can come up. The last thing we see is this great sense of conviction. You know, when God called, this is what I think I love most about the life of Joseph. And what I think really struggles in the church today, for all of us, and I'm putting myself in this box, I think we all struggle with conviction of call. Like, God calls us, and we do this. We're like, yeah, I'm going, and we go like this. That's not what Joseph does. Joseph does this. It's awesome. It says he just got up. Here, let's read it. Let's read it. right. So she'll give birth to them. After all this took place, uh, so that the thing was, when Joseph woke up, verse 24, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, and he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's work from reverse, right? Okay. In that culture, you have a child. What do you call that child? Firstborn son, what do you call him? The father. You call him your name, because basically he's putting your stamp on say, he's mine. So a lot of these issues that Joseph is going to have for the rest of his life changes if Joseph just calls him little Joe. Sure, there's like the stuff of, oh, what happened there? Mary left, and, you know, did you guys have a little moment, you know, before marriage, get pregnant, all that stuff. And then it's like, cool, like there's forgiveness, there's grace, and on we go. Right? And all of his issues are resolved. They go, okay, they, you know, they made a mistake. God's good. God's gracious. Off they go. That's his son. But he doesn't. He calls him Jesus. And so for the rest of his life, there's rumors about whose child this is. And yet, with great conviction, he just faithfully walks the call. He just faithfully serves. He just faithfully honors the call of God in his life. Obedience, even in the face of opposition obedience in the face of opposition. The second thing that we see here is that he, um, not only does he call the child Jesus, but it says he didn't know her. Now, for some of you who don't know your Bibles that well, and when you read that word consummate, some of you still need a little help around there. I'm not going to get too uh, t- too detailed with you here. But when it says that he didn't know her or didn't consummate the marriage, it means they didn't have intimacy. And if you want me to go further than that, or well, you need to have a conversation out in the car park, so he marries this woman. Now, when we get married in our culture and you've been waiting and you get married and you're legally allowed to step into the fullness of what that marriage holds for you, that takes great conviction to say, uh-uh, I'm going to be obedient. I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to honour God. And when the timing's right, I'm going to step into the fullness of the intimacy which God has bought for me. I think some of us need to hear that today. Because this man was married and he heard the call of God and he said, no, I'm going to do what's right, not out of law, but because he knows what God says is good. And some of us need to hear that call today. That same word's been spoken. Say, that's not yours yet. Wait. Wait wait for the right moment, wait for the fullness of intimacy, wait for the opportunity when that flourishes, when it brings life, wait, wait on the Lord, wait for the call of God. And the third thing that we see, which I I love, is this call to Egypt, that he just faithfully goes to the foreign land, he faithfully goes and invests in foreign people, he faithfully steps into this new direction and new vision for what God has for his life. And Egypt wouldn't be easy. Egypt would not be easy. And yet he goes. Why? Because God called. Because he's a man of conviction. So, God has a dream for us, God has a hope for us, God has a call upon each and every one of our lives. And the lesson through Joseph is that God's looking for people of courage, He's looking for people of character, and He's looking for people of conviction. And I just feel to pray over us this morning that we would would be that church, that we would be those people. No one's perfect, are we? No one's perfect. No one's going to get it right 100% of the time. I'm the first one to put my hand up and say that right now. No one's perfect. But what's our heart? Where's our heart direction? Are we seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness? Are we chasing after the things of God? And if we chase after the things of God and he starts to impart dreams upon our life, can we walk in that? Can we slowly step, slowly step, slowly step towards that call? And you will be amazed. This boy Jesus is the saviour of the world. And he had a father who trained him in the way he should go. A father who didn't make it To the cross, a father who died at some point between the age of twelve and twenty-three of Jesus' life. But a father who history looks back and says, Do you know what? He didn't say a single word. We don't have a single word that Joseph spoke, but we can watch him, we can see what he did, we can see character, we can see courage, and we can see conviction. I wonder if we can go and do the same by the power of the Spirit who calls. Stand to your feet. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you are so good. And God, we thank you that as we come to Christmas, we encounter characters who we don't often talk about, but we thank you that each and every one of these people have a story. And each and every one of these people are included in the canon of Scripture for a reason, because you want to teach us something. You want to show us something. You want to reveal something about your character and your nature. And so, Lord, I just want to pray over us as a church today. I want to pray not for condemnation. If anyone here has heard anything and the Spirit's convicting, that they would not experience condemnation in this place. No, 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 no. That's not what the Spirit of God comes to do. That's what the enemy comes to do. What you come to do is to bring life and life to the full. And if we're feeling challenged right now, it's because you want life for us. You're saying, hey, just get up and keep walking. Come to the quiet place. Come and be courageous because of who you are. This is who I've made you. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're my child and I love you and I've called you for a purpose. So let's start walking in purpose. Let's start walking in freedom and walking in faith. And as we walk in those things, may we be people of great conviction. Knowing the great call which we carry. To be the light in this dark world and may that be true of us we ask this in the precious almighty and powerful name of jesus and all god's children said amen let's worship you've been listening to a sermon from hills baptist church to find out more or to hear other great content find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app